Hi, guys. All right, three people are excited. Just, I'm just kidding. That's probably one of my favorite jokes to do, is just feel a little bit, temperature of the room, okay, it's supposed to be your first three-day weekend of the semester, and that got just taken from you, which I'm really happy about because the majority of y'all are here, and we get to worship together. Um, so thank you for joining us in worship tonight. Appreciate just your guys' heart, your commitment to want to come and learn about Jesus, and that's what we're doing here. Um, I'm Pastor Ben. If it's your first time here, welcome. College Young Adult Pastor here at Grace Point. Oasis is the college young adult ministry here at Grace Point. And what's awesome is, is we have a drummer, Jeremy, who is from Watertown. Where are you? Are you in here, Jeremy? He might be in the back. I'm, I'm just calling him on the spot. But he is a part of an Oasis LATI that started last year. And what we're trying to do and what we're trying to see is that we recognize in South Dakota and even in our region that there's a lot of communities and college communities that don't have a college young adult movement, a place where people can go and learn about Jesus and be with peers to grow in their faith. And so last year, because of a campus pastor in Watertown at Grace Point in Watertown, South Dakota, just north of here, Jeff Rogel decided to start it. He's like, hey, we're going to try and stream your stuff. Can we do this? Can we take your names? Like, yeah, do all of it. Take whatever you need. Tonight we have Jeremy here, who's drumming, which is awesome. I think, is there people from Watertown here, from Oasis LATI? Is there a group of people? Maybe no, no, not? Okay. What they do, I thought there was going to be here, maybe not, bad information. But what they do is they watch this on Monday night. And they grow up. Last year, when there was not a young adult movement happening in Watertown, they averaged around 30 different college students, young adults. And what we've been praying for, when I feel like a dream that God has laid on my heart, what I believe even he wants to restore and what was a dry bone bring to new life is these faithful growing movements of young adult people growing in their faith, becoming more like Jesus. And so we've been praying that for months. And we had this opportunity open up last year in Watertown. We have another opportunity in Aberdeen. We have another opportunity in Vermilion at USD because there's a lot of coyotes who need Jesus. Now, there, there are a lot of jackrabbits that need Jesus, but... Uh, that's going to go out. I might get crushed for that one. <laughs> but it's just, it's real. And so I say all this because something that I believe I failed you in, if you've been here last year, because last year was my first year, is I failed at inviting you into praying with us and for us on what we believe God desires to do, not just in Brookings, but in this community, in this state, and even across the nation. So when you think about it, when it comes up, would you just pray? Pray for movements and pockets of young adults, whether it's associated with Oasis or not, that there be movements of people in every college town in this state and in the surrounding states. Movements where people can come and grow like this to be a part of something bigger than themselves, to grow in faith, to worship Jesus and help others know him. So I'm inviting you to pray along outside of us. Why we're doing a 24-hour prayer event. We believe prayer is essential to anything that God desires to do in our life and the lives of those around us. Okay, off the, the, whatever it's called. You watch the video. Jana sent me this video, and it gave, I think, just a very beautiful depiction and picture of restoration, of, of, of moving from death to life. And last week, we talked about how Ezekiel 37 is this beautiful metaphor of this, of this, in this picture of escape from exile for the Israelites at that time. They had just gotten into exile from the Babylonians, and God gives Ezekiel this vision, like, here's what's going to happen. You see, yes, this valley of death and dry bones, but I'm going to bring it to life. It's this picture for them at that moment that's going to bring them out of exile. 
And we said and ultimately it was even bigger picture looking more into the future of the ultimate exile, of escaping freedom from the ultimate exile of being separated from God because of our sin. So last week, that's what we talked about. We talked about how the reality is that the, the death and the dry bones of the valley are not our finished reality. That when we come up against moments and, and, and times in our life where we're experiencing death, where there's dry bones, where there's no life, I don't know how I'm going to get past this, Jesus says there's a way. But I had to start with this realization that we have been set free from the ultimate exile of sin. And so we had people last week give their lives to Jesus for the first time. We had people last Sunday night who rededicated their lives. What we wanted to do to finish out this series over the next three weeks is look at now as followers of Jesus, what does it look like and what are certain things in our life that have to continue to be restored? Because it's not this one-time thing of restoration where I'm now back in perfect relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for me. It's there's things now that he's desiring to do and to restore and to redeem and to make new. So the big picture for tonight, we're going to talk about a restoration of identity. God restores our identity, period. It's not God desires to. It's not God wants to. It's there's a reality that God restores our identity when we give our lives to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's, it's my life verse based off of what my story was of me struggling with addiction, struggling with purposelessness, struggling with identity. I didn't know who I was. I didn't have just meaning in life. I tattooed it on my arm. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... That person in Christ is now a new creation. He says, behold, now the old is gone. It's left. It's defeated. It's diminished. And the new has come. An aspect and a reality and the initiation of a restoration of identity for us is that God has given us a new name and a new nature. And I wish I could just stop there and we could stand and we could clap and then we could go on singing and praising and praying for the next three hours. And I would love that. But I think it'd be a disservice because I have to, and what I believe, oh man, what I believe God desires for every single one of us is to fully try to at least start in comprehending and understanding what does it mean that now I have an identity in Jesus, that I have a restored identity in Christ because of what he's done for me through his life, death, and resurrection. And so we're going to go through why identity needs to be restored. And then we're going to go through how do I continue to believe and accept that newfound identity that I've been given from the Father? You guys ready? Are you okay with that? No? Are you guys ready for this? I need some interaction. You guys ready? Amen. Give me an amen. Give me something. All right, let's go. Two different ways that I wrote down that I'm going to go through on how I believe we receive or we get our identity or even how we even define our identity. Our identity is who we are or who we believe we are. One is through labels and assumptions. Okay, repeat after me, labels and assumptions. Y'all be smart. That's, that's real. Labels and assumptions. That was, a, that was a, a way for me to distract you from opening up my iPad and getting my notes out. Labels and assumptions. Labels being a word or phrase that put a certain person or thing, but tonight we're talking about person, into a specific category. I think we've all gone through life having a certain label or, be, or been given a specific label. Right? I think we can all sit there, whether it's through a moment we had last week, today, through moments that we had as we were living and growing up at home, through moments that we had, if you're like me, 
looking in a mirror. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like mirrors are my enemy for more than one reason. So like when I, right, we all have mirrors in our home, unless you're a vampire, which doesn't exist. Everyone has a mirror. We got them. We look at ourselves all the time, whether we want to or not. But when I'm getting ready in the morning, I try not to, and this is just something that's just messed up with me. I don't know how y'all feel. But when I'm getting ready in the morning, I get ready. I try not to look in the mirror until after I have a shirt on. Because when I have a shirt on, I feel like I look really good. (laughs) But when the shirt's off, it's a mess. I mean, it's not great. And I'm trying to do better, right? I want to be physically, emotionally, and spiritually healthy. I'm I'm losing weight and all that thing. Mirrors are my enemy. They just are. And I'm just talking about physically. But there are moments, I don't know if you guys have had these moments in your life, where like, either you're alone in your apartment or something tragic has just happened, and you get done, like, you go to the bathroom, you wash your face, and I've done this multiple times. Again, I just, something's off with me a little bit, but Jesus is good. And I'll sit there, and I'm over the sink, and I'm sitting over the sink, and I wash my face, and I'm just like, oh, it's a tough day, a hard day, and I just get like super overly emotional. And then I'm looking at myself, and I just start bawling. And then as I see myself cry, I start crying harder. Has that ever, it, just give me a raise, if that's not, like, amen, oh, thank goodness. Oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Mirrors are my enemy. <laughs> but it happens, I sit there, because I think what's happening is in those moments, there's just an emotional overwhelming of life. There's something that I've come across that, you know, I just can't handle. And then if I really allow myself, if I just, outside of the physical aspect of looking at myself, if I'm looking at myself, And if I allow myself to dwell too much as I'm staring at myself, for some reason, this may just me, I don't know about you guys, I get to the really negative stuff about who I am, about what's going on in my life. We allow ourselves, I think, to be defined by the labels and assumptions either by other people, by families, or ourselves. Labels being that word or phrase that put you in a category. And I don't know about you, but there have been moments in my life where I'm staring at the stinking enemy, like the vein of my existence. And I'm staring at the mirror and all I can think about is the negative stuff. The negative labels and the negative assumptions that I've experienced in my life. And this doesn't have to happen just in front of a mirror. I think it happens all the time. Especially if we're not completely rooted and established in who God says that we are. When the labels and assumptions come from negative people, negative places, and are just not true about us, what happens is we allow them to turn into our identities. And again, our identity is who we are, who we believe we are. So for me, there have been moments in my life where I've stared in the mirror long enough, and I've thought about the labels and assumptions that I begin over time And I remember failure. The time I failed over and over and over and over and over again. I continue to mess up and continue to fail. Underachiever. I'm going to spell this wrong. This is always fun. If you haven't been here before, uh, my spelling is atrocious. So what I do is I tend to write horribly so you can't tell that I spelled it wrong. Trick. If you don't know how to write, well, do it. How about flawed? I thought this of myself. Fraud. I'm just going with all the F words. 
except that one. <laughs> but I think just for so many times in our life, we go through it having experiences that point to negative labels and assumptions. Stupid. Ugly. Worthless. And we allow those labels over time, if we're not rooted and established in who God says we are, to become our identity. And as they become our identity, we ultimately start believing that this is who we are. So I'm never going to see success in life. It doesn't matter if I try to pursue a relationship again, I'm just going to fail again. Why would I try and study for that test when every other test is bombed hard? Why am I going to try in life or at this job when all throughout my life I've heard my parents or my bosses or people in authority over me say, man, if he just applied himself, he could do great things. He'd be more successful. So I'm not even going to try because I'm just going to continue to underachieve because it's not going to matter how hard I work. We allow these labels and assumptions to get to the point where we believe we actually are these things. And the problem with this is, especially for you who've given your life to Jesus, is that these labels don't reveal the truth about who you were created to be, about who we are in Jesus. I'm going to get to the good part. But right now, just ask yourself, What labels have I allowed to follow me around? Maybe as I've gone from middle school to high school, high school to college. What labels, as I'm standing in front of the mirror, have I given myself that are negative and destructive and lies? We allow labels and assumptions, most of them being negative, because we don't allow it to be rooted and established in who God says we are to become our identity. So every time we try to succeed in something, pursue something, we'll go back to this. Or every time we actually do make that mistake, I go back to, well, it doesn't matter. This is just who I am now. And what I want us to know is that God desires more for us. I believe identity is one of the most important things that you can understand and know. Because I believe with a rooted and established identity in who God says you are and who you are in Christ, not that life will be easy, but I believe, based off of experience and other people that I know, you'll be able to get through almost anything, actually anything life throws at you. Because your self-worth, your identity and who you are, who you believe are, is not rooted in the labels and assumptions that you've given yourself or other people have given you. It's rooted in who God says you are. Second way we tend to find our identity is through performance. So on labels and assumptions, second one is performance. Say performance with me. Oh, I love you guys to death. That was, I just wanted to do it. I like hearing y'all. I got to say this. Tangent number four. It happened tonight too, and it happened last week. There's a moment when, when we are gathered and the sons and daughter are together just praising and singing that when the music gets quiet, I'm able to like hear your guys' voices and I have to shut up because I'm super loud. Like I scream when I sing 
just because I don't know any other way. But when, there are moments, and it happened tonight and it happened last week, that I, I just, I quiet myself. And I hear these, it's, it's a beautiful array of voices singing praise to the Father. And so that's why I like hearing your guys' voices. It's because if it gives me such delight, I can't imagine the delight that it gives the Father who loves you, who's for you, not against you. Back to the sermon. So sing, I, I say it, sing proudly. Doesn't matter how good it is. Praise unashamedly. Your Father delights to hear your voice. Second way we find identity, performance. We allow our identity to be based on our performance. And the problem with this is that when our identity is based on our performance, we feel the pressure to continually prove our worth. It's my love or my uniqueness, my worth is all based and rooted in how I perform. So we move from these labels and assumptions to not just like titles or jobs, or for you guys to like students, like I can throw a student on here. Throw a student on here, but what happens is when we allow our performance to become ultimately our identity or in who we are, we always relate it back to, okay, am I a bad student or a good student? And it's never consistent, and it never stays the same. <laughs> it's always rooted back into our last previous, if you're a student, assignment or test or whatever. And the problem with having your identity rooted in E, in performance or a title or a job or whatever, is that eventually that thing doesn't last. A healthy, true, biblical identity is one that stands the test of time. So for me, I tend to get caught in this performance trap of husband. Now, I am a husband, so that's true, but it's not the basis of who I fully am in this world. I wouldn't define myself and say when someone asks me, hey, who are you? Like, like to the core of, of you, Ben Geaton, who are you? Now, if I say husband, and if, this, if my identity is rooted in some sort of performance and having my worth be based off how I perform at a certain duty or title or job, then it's going to be based off on whether or not I had an interaction with my daughter that day. Because <laughs> for some reason, like, I love my daughter. Like, I'm really, I love my daughter, so that's clear. But we're the same person, and I'm annoying. I can, I just, I can be annoying. I'm stubborn, I'm strong-willed, I'm an eight on the Enneagram, I'm a challenger, I'm annoying. I get it, I know it, I, be, I believe it. If, if I didn't believe it, ask my wife. I can be annoying. And so my daughter, who I love to death, is me to like the core. We're the same person, and I don't know how two people who are the exact same are supposed to exist underneath the same roof. It's insane. I can't believe it. She's three and a half years old, and she somehow has out-dramatized me. I'm the most dramatic person in the universe, and she beats me easy. Easy. And I'm saying this all as she's like super, super sick right now. I feel really bad because she's got stomach flu. She's fine, whatever. <laughs> But what'll happen? <laughs> I don't have the gift of mercy. I should. I know I'm a pastor, but eh. I'll, she's fine. What'll happen is if she doesn't get something she wants, just like her father, we whine about it. <laughs> so, like, she's not great at eating all of her food at dinner time. Like, we get dinner. I'm the one who usually makes the food. My wife works in Watertown, so she drives down. I'm the one who usually kind of prepares it. It's not always great. It's just, it is what it is. We have mac and cheese and hot dogs a ton. 
But I'll make it. It's like, here, I gave you this. I made the food. Here it is. Eat what's on your plate, and then you can whatever. And she'll have like four bites. And I got used to it now. She'll be like, down full. I'm like, no, you're not. Because you're in 10 minutes going to come and ask me for a fruit snack. I know who you are. <laughs> and so I'll look at her and I'll say, hey, you cannot have a snack tonight if you don't finish the food that we've given you. That's on your plate on the table. And she'll go, because she's, she's me, so we're also kind of a genius too. <laughs> she'll, she'll go, she'll go, it's more manipulation. <laughs> she'll go, I won't ask you for a snack later, daddy. I know that's a lie, straight up, that's a, that's a lie. She lied to my face. I was like, just try and take a couple more bites. How many more bites? I was like, take five more bites. Three? No, five. What are you? And then she'll have like, she'll put specifically two mac and cheese noodles on her spoon and then she'll eat it and she'll count it as a bite. It's like, baby, that's not a bite. You gotta eat more than that. Ultimately, we get to the point where she doesn't finish her food. She leaves and then it's like clockwork. Ten minutes later, she comes up, dad, in the sweetest little manipulation of a voice. Oh, and say, Dad, can I have a fruit snack? It's like, no. And I want to snap. And I can't because she's three and a half. And snapping would just be ridiculous. She's three and a half years old. But she's like me. And so there are moments where I actually do snap and it's not great. If my identity was wrapped up in my performance of being a good dad, it would be a failure a lot. It just would. And it's not even my daughter's fault. It's my own sin. I could say the same thing about me as a husband. I could say the same thing about me as a pastor. Is if I'm allowing my identity, who I am at my core, to be defined by how I perform at the different titles that I have in my life, it's going to be failure. You're going to ultimately get to the point where it's just never, ever, ever enough. Because the truth is, your identity is not something that can ever be achieved. It needs to be received. The biblical, truthful, healthy, standing the test of time identity is one that is received and not achieved. Because if I go and try to achieve my own identity through performance, I get caught up in this cycle of outperforming myself. Even if I feel like I get close to being perfect, it's still never enough. When we allow our worth, allow even our identity to be defined in how we perform, we will fall and we will fail. Labels and assumptions and performance. Do you fit in that category? How would you answer tonight? Who are you? Who do you believe that you are? Can it stand the test of time? Is it one that in three years when you go off to be a professional that's going to be changed because your title or that season of life has changed? And if it is, let me challenge you. God has a better one for you tonight. And again, I'm going to get there, but before I get there, we need to know this. That sin in our life has this incredible ability to twist and allow us to forget what our identity truly is. So whether it's through labels and assumptions or through performance, sin and lies that we believe from the enemy or from ourselves or from the world are going to continually battle and push us to forget who God says we really are. 
This is why we'll talk about this all the time. Because your identity is already stamped in Jesus. It's unchanging. The problem isn't on God's side. The problem is on our side. Do I believe it? Do I really believe who God says I am? And I'm here to challenge you to step into the reality, to ask God tonight for faith and belief, to give you faith to believe that you are who he says you are. And so all of a sudden, it doesn't become about mistakes that you've made because your identity has been wrapped up in performance. It's, you know what? I'm going to make mistakes, and that's okay, because I know who God says I am. It's not about the labels of your past or even your present that you put on yourself or the people around you want to put on you that are negative and not God-honoring. It's, I'm going to see that label. I'm going to recognize it as a lie. I'm going to push it away. I'm going to believe who God says I am. So how ultimately do we get to the point of believing who God says we are? One, you got to know who God says you are. We'll get there. I'm not getting there quite. I'm doing this intentionally. We're not going to get there quite yet. We will get there. I got to know, okay, who exactly does God say I am? But first, to believe it fully and to press into it fully, to help ourselves continually to believe and know who God says that we are, we have to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature, as Paul says in Colossians. So do you want to know how you continually remember and believe who God says you are? Put to death what is of the earthly, earthly nature. If you are in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. So we have to put to death that which is old. One way to do that, write down all the negative labels that you believed about yourself or that you have, and what is the opposite of it. So instead of dead to sin, it's in Jesus, I'm actually alive. Instead of rejected by God or other people, based off of whatever, it's I'm accepted in Christ. Instead of orphaned or abandoned or alone, I'm adopted into the family of God. It says the spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are his children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. So if you are in Christ tonight, meaning if you believe Christ for your salvation, meaning you believed him that his death on the cross paid for your sin so that your relationship with him could be restored, you are an heir to the kingdom of God. You are a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God, and that can never be changed in Christ. That is amazing. So put off the labels and assumptions and performance of trying to live up to who you think you are and allow God to speak in to the identity of who he says you are. I'm gonna invite the team, the band up. And as they come up, they're gonna play a little music. I'm gonna see if this works. And what I want us to do is, because of mainly my, my fault, because I talk way too much, is there's been a practice that has happened here at Oasis for 15 years. And that practice is after the message, we go into a time of prayer. And because, again, I talk way too much, is we've abandoned it a little bit. And so tonight we're going to have an extended time of prayer. And what I want you to do is I want yourself, I want you guys 
to allow yourself to write down or to think through what are the negative labels that I've given myself? What are the labels that other people have called me that I've started to believe are really who I am? And I want you to ask God, okay, God, take these labels and destroy them. Take these lies that are not associated or connected with fully who you say I am and destroy them. And how you're gonna know what needs to be replaced with a lie that you've been believing about who you are is we're gonna have scripture rolling on the center screen. Not for sure how long, but it's gonna be a while. And the scripture are specific identities. They are labels, but they're labels from the most high God who is perfect and holy and for you and desires you completely. They're scriptures of who he says that you are. And so we're gonna move from believing that we're failures from having our identity be in our performance to know I'm alive in Christ. I once was lost, but now I am found moving from a sinner to who Paul addresses time and time again when he's writing his letters to you are now saints in Jesus. Now, does that mean life is perfect? No. Does that mean you're not gonna make mistakes? No. God says you are a saint. Believe that. Accept that. Receive that as an identity. He calls you his child. You are a son and a daughter. You are alive in Christ. You are accepted by God who loves you and is for you and you are adopted into his family. You are an heir to his kingdom. Believe that. As the scripture rolls through, read them. Because a very specific way for us to put the earthly things to death is I'm actually gonna quote my sister-in-law. She says, we need to acknowledge the deadness of the old self. And as we acknowledge the deadness of the old self, we need to abandon it. But we can't stop there. We need to replace it with truth. If you're struggling with labels or assumptions, not just tonight, but for the rest of your life, go back to the truth of who God says you are. You are alive in Christ, not dead to sin. You are accepted, not rejected, adopted, not abandoned. Father God, we thank you for tonight. As we take the next few moments to pray, to listen, to abandon our old self, to actually not just abandon, but put to death, failure, identifying ourselves as frauds, identifying ourselves as underachievers of worthless. God, would you give us the strength to kill those identities that are lies? And would you replace the truth of who you say we are, not just in our minds so we would know it intellectually, but in our hearts and spirits that we would believe it in faith, going about this life confident, not in ourselves, but in you, Jesus, in you, Father, says, this is my son. As you said to your son at his baptism, this is my son whom I'm well pleased with, who brings me great joy. We are your children. And thank you that you say we bring you joy. Thank you that that identity, who we are, can never be changed. Thank you that even in moments where we mess up and we live in a way that is not a, in accordance with who you say we are, you don't change our status. You continually accept. You continually call out the good and continually move us towards truth.
So as you pray, would you look up on the screen and read those verses? Read who God says you are. If you have your phone, if you have a note, whatever, write one down, one that just catches your eye. Put it on your mirror in the bathroom. Allow God to define who you are, not the labels, assumptions, and performance of your life. Amen?